know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Wanna bet? What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Can you imagine if uh, NHL Trade Center was uh, on Sunday and you didn't have to wait for Friday? Poor James Duffy with all these moves going on over the weekend, including maybe the wildest one of them all. And maybe you'd think it'd be the Timo Meyer one. No, no. Tanner Chanel gets flipped for five picks. There's a bunch of deals we're going to recap on uh, today's edition of the show. We'll try to look ahead to some other guys as well. Um, but we, we, we need to talk about Tanner Janot and why Julian Breezebois feels, I mean, I guess there's a track record that shows, okay, he feels comfortable flipping the firsts, but a first in 2025 that's top 10 protected, a second in 2024, a third, a fourth, and a fifth in this year's draft, and Cal Foot for Tanner Janot. Like, help me make sense of that, please, before we get to all the other trades. Well, there's a couple things I think we all need to understand, and this frames, this, this stands for any player or any situation we're talking about before and after this. There's no such thing as fair market value in the NHL, right? When you get to the trade deadline, the, the player goes to the highest bidder. And sometimes, you know, whether we're talking about a Timo Meyer trade, we might not think there's enough there to justify that. You know, I'm pretty confident New Jersey had what, what San Jose deemed to be the best offer. And in this case, <clears throat> the Tampa Bay Lightning identified a player in Tanner Janot who plays a certain way. He's tough as hell. Great four checker and is 25 years old. He's a restricted free agent. So they have at least one more year of team control after this one. And I would suggest to you, the odds are likely given their track record that they're going to sign him to some kind of long-term deal and lock him in like they did with Nick Paul last year. And, you know, when you look at what those picks are, what are the odds an NHL player comes out of those five draft picks? I mean, they're, they're, I don't know how to quantify that. I do know NHL teams have smart enough people in the front offices that can, but what are the odds of someone coming out of that five picks that is ready to help the Tampa Bay lightning in the window when they have Nikita Kucherov, Vasilevsky, Hedman, Point, Stamkos, and on down the list of this team. I mean, they have a special core and I think this is a very calculated kind of bet. It's a bet. I actually believe the lightning know the odds are it's not going to look great, right? I mean, what what makes it look great? I guess if they go to another Stanley Cup final, no one's going to question it. If they lose in round one, which could happen or round two, maybe you say, oh, that was a lot. But, you know, they're just trying to graft players on to the core of their team to, to maximize the what they get out of this core in this time. <clears throat> it's really hard to get as many great players. <clears throat> Sorry, Julian, got to clear my throat here. Oh, getting, on my, getting on my soapbox and my throat is ready for it. <laughs> get the soapbox ready for siege. Let's go. But it's 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 really hard to get this many great players together at one time the way they have. They have something special. And so it, the way that you build that team, I think you have to be thinking very specifically about how best to maximize those assets, right? Every team has unique circumstances. And Look at I pulled some people around the league. Like I, I asked just, you know, what did you think of the return? I got insane back from someone. Someone else said it was too cute. You know, like there's a lot of people too cute. <laughs> yeah, I think I think meaning that, you know, it has worked in the past. They got Goodrow and Coleman and Hagel and gave up what seemed like a lot at the time and it worked. And and some people thinking, you know, at least one person thinking maybe that they're they're going too far down the same strategy, but maybe these this isn't a player worth doing it with what have you. Anyway, the point is that sentiment is out there. I'm sure hockey fans. I mean, I saw my Twitter feed. <laughs> Everyone has going like, wow, because we haven't seen this, but here's the lightning's problem. They'd already traded their 23rd and 24th first round picks. Nashville wanted two first rounders for, you <clears throat> again, we're not talking about a rental player. It's a different kind of acquisition. And so Tampa's only way that they felt they could make this deal was quantity over quality. And here we are. It's, it's I like it because it's different. I think it's hard to criticize Julian Brisebois in general. I mean, he's probably the smartest GM in the league, certainly in the top handful. Um, and he's consistently made bold moves that have paid off. And I think he's 
I think he's playing 3D chess compared to some of his counterparts sometimes. This this might be a gamble they lose, but I, I like that they're making the gamble. And quite honestly, if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning, it's all bonus at this point. I mean, there's no point in trying to be good for them six years down the road. Like they, they've got this year and next year and next year, maybe after that. But at some point, this core is either going to age out or the players you know won't be able to perform at the level they are. And they're going to have to, it's going to be a wicked rebuild at some point in the future. But, you know, by that point, Julian Breezeball's hand might be weighed down by all the rings he's wearing. And I think that's, that's really the point here. Okay. So you're looking at it from the front loaded perspective and the fact that they've got the window and look, the Tampa Bay lightning are still a very good team. They, I, I I've said it before, like Boston's really good, but like, would it surprise me that Tampa somehow ended up in the Eastern conference final and then winning it? No, it wouldn't surprise me at all because they still have really good bones. It's just just on the face, like five picks and and a young player for for a guy who's gonna be your third liner. Like it just it just looks like a lot. And and it just makes me what think is a like, lot. okay, yeah, it, 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 is, it a totally lot. is like <laughs> it's, it's a lot. It's just like holy crap, but also just the fact that he's under a mill and and he does have another year beyond this year. Like just this, there's this premium that's coming up for guys who could be who could be uh, who are affordable, and you could just easily fit under under your salary cap to the point where we're throwing up five picks at a young player. Well, think about it this way too. I mean, you have to have real cachet with your owner to be able to make this move, right? I mean, not every general manager in the league would want to put their own sort of ass on the line in this manner. I I don't think Julian Breezeball's ass is on the line by any means because his team's been to three state Stanley Cup finals. Right. So he's got cachet. He's got trust built with Jeff Finnick. Jeff Finnick, as I've said before in this podcast, I think is the best owner in the NHL. Yes. And, and I think that the culture he's built around his team, the way he treats much lower staff in the organization, I just know he's done some really nice things over the years and has built the right kind of foundation for that team. Obviously, between Steve Eisman initially and then Julian Brisebois, who was Steve Eisman's right hand man and then succeeded him as GM, they've had a lot of continuity and stability in the front office. Um, you know, there's a reason why Matthew Darsh, for example, the assistant GM of the Lightning has been in, involved in lots of conversations to become GM elsewhere. Uh, you know, they've just built a ridiculously strong operation and they they can make gambles like this. I just think a lot of teams would either t- twist themselves in knots and, and not be decisive. I mean, there's this is decisive, right? Nashville has only decided, as we talked about in the last week or so, to become sellers. We saw them trade Nino Niederreiter over the weekend to Winnipeg. You know, looking at that roster, they don't have a lot of UFAs to sell. So to me, Jeannot was probably going to be their their biggest piece. You know, we might argue Matthias Ekholm. It's just Ekholm has the same problem as a lot of other players out there and that he's got a pretty high salary for multiple years. And so not every team, you know, lots of teams love Ekholm. I, I just don't know how many can actually bring him in right now. And, and you know, I think Jeannot was going to be the most viable piece for David Poyle to play. And... Tampa identified their guy and went and got him and, you know, good on them. This is more like an NBA style trade, man. And do you know what else is funny? And I haven't seen anyone else talk about this. So the 23 and 24 first rounders Tampa traded to Chicago for Brandon Hagel last year. They're both mm-hmm. top 10 protected. Now it's unlikely Tampa ends up in the top 10, but also now yeah. their top 10 pick and 25 is top 10 protected. There is a world if Tampa somehow fell off a cliff and one of their picks became a top 10 pick. We're pushing these first rounders out to like 2026, 2027. Like this, this is actually the closest I've seen an NHL team start to do what we've seen a lot of NBA teams do, which is really trade future, future, future capital uh, for the moment. And again, I think if you're being realistic, it's a smart thing to do for the lightning. Like the lightning will exist for 50 years beyond this. When are they going to have, as long as there's a hard salary cap or how are they ever going to get this many difference makers in their lineup at one time. It's it's almost impossible to bring a team like this together. Like when we look at the other really good teams in the league, you know, teams like the Leafs even just, just to borrow one. I mean, they're still making trades for top six players because, and they have a really good core. I don't think anyone's arguing about that in terms of the, the high end quality, but it's just hard to have six or seven or eight players deep that you really call your core. And that's locked in. That's there. That, that is, is performing at a level worthy of their contracts. That's, that's what Tampa has. I mean, they're they're the class of the league the way they've been built. That doesn't guarantee success. It doesn't mean that they're going to even win a playoff round this spring. But i i like I like that they're they're dancing to their own tune, and everybody else is trying to figure out what the game they're playing is. 
But but Siege, like here, here's my thing about the NBA comparison, right? You're absolutely right. Fine. This, this I, I get why you're making that comparison. And I'll say this. Julian Brisebois, with the track record he has, I get it. He, he, he can afford to flip away the first-round picks. And, yeah, there's some creativity there. But when we make the NBA comparison and we see some of the trade, some of those trades that have been done out there with so much future capital, I'm, you're, you're seeing the returns. It's like, well, Kyrie Irving's on one side of that deal. Even Russell Westbrook, who's like, right. you know, sort of washed by comparison to what we've seen before, getting flipped for whatever. Oh, Patrick, like all these other guys who are like really good. Tanner Janot at, at best is like a third line player and who could work for Tampa Bay. Don't get me wrong, but it's Tanner Janot. We're not doing this for like Timo Bayer didn't get this return. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's just on the surface. It just looks very like to anyone who did, who did, who didn't know anything about what Julian Breezeball had done before. You're like, like what the hell is this? Uh, but but again, you can't really you can't well, really fault him for it. And let's go worked. back though. Nashville didn't have to trade him, right? He's a restricted nope. free agent at the end of the year. They had to be compelled to trade him now, and it was going to take I think two first rounders or something like this. Which is obviously I don't know how we measured the the second, third, fourth, fifth, and Cal Foot. Is that equal another first rounder? Again, I don't have those valuation charts the way the teams do, but they, they had to offer something. They had to get to something almost crazy to, to make it work. I think because otherwise the predators didn't have to trade the player and Tampa wanted the player. And here we go. Here we are, Um, man. It's also, thanks for clarifying the RFA thing. I don't know why I thought he had another year. Sorry. That was just a mistake on my end. Thanks for clarifying that. But you know, I'm not saying it isn't an overpayment. Like I'm not here to defend that. I just like, I like the guts. I like the moxie. I like, I like that you make that move knowing that the rest of the league, when they, they text me, you know, when I'm asking people what, what they think that they, they know everyone's going to, what they're going to be saying. They don't give a shit. They got two, <laughs> you know, Julian Breesman has got two, two uh, cup rings in his ears. He can't hear what you're saying. Yeah. And all he's yelling is, uh, excuse my French, fuck them picks. <laughs> <laughs> Draft schmaft is Cliff Fletcher. Draft schmaft, who cares? Yeah. Imagine being on that scouting staff for, for Tampa. I don't think you have that much to do for the summer and beyond <laughs> the whole Eastern conference. Yo, Look at it. they load it up. So we're still five days from the deadline or four and a half as we're recording the top six teams in the Eastern conference. Five of them have now traded a first round pick plus, plus, plus to bring in a real player or, or players in some cases. The only one that hasn't yet done that is Carolina. And I'm pretty sure, and we're going to get to the team of Meyer trade on the other side of DB. I'm pretty sure after Carolina struck out on Timo Meyer, they're, they're still going to get up to something too. So, you know, when all is said and done here, this has just been pure wreckage in the Eastern Conference. Like everybody is just unloading what they can in for future capital to try to be great today. And I think we've got an awesome playoffs on tap. Let's take advantage of that tease CJ just did and let's get to DB. Time for You Could Bet That. You can bet that with David Bastel. Brought to you by Sports Interaction. Get in the action and make a play. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Welcome to You Can Bet That with David Bastel. Good to see you, buddy. Good to see you guys. Hope you had a great weekend. Remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. Uh, we, we all have a pretty good inkling. Who's going to go number one overall in uh, this summer's NHL entry draft? We've only spoken about Connor Bedard so many times on the Chris Johnston show. But who could go number two? I mean, Adam Fantilli could be a favorite, but uh, we have some names up for you at Sports Interaction. Take us through it, DB. Yeah, that's exactly it, guys. Uh, It's one of those things where... Um, and, and Chris has talked about this a lot. This is a very good draft. Uh, teams that are going to be falling in even up to 10, you're going to be getting yourself a pretty good player. So Sports Interaction added this weekend, who will go number two. Adam Fantilli out of the University of Michigan is uh, the number two favorite right now. But as you guys know, Carlson's in that conversation, Smith, Benson, uh, all sorts of players that depending on the need of which team, and that, and that's the tricky part, CJ, we, we don't know what that top five is because it's all about the lottery balls and, and who gets what and and which team needs what position, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and, you know, different organizational priorities, right? Some teams draft for need. Others are just purely who they think the best player is. You know, I wonder about the, the player Mitchkov out of Russia, too. He had a big uh, KHL game over the weekend, scored a lacrosse-style goal. Obviously, uh, teams have scouted him more than just seeing some of the highlights that, that we see bouncing around Twitter. But, um, you know, it, it doesn't seem like there's much consensus in this draft. 
after Bedard. I don't, I don't think there's any question, of course, about the number one overall pick. But whoever is sitting in that number two seat is going to have a difficult choice. And sometimes it's better to be in the third or fourth slot where you don't have to make that choice because you might end up getting the best player, uh, you know, just by default. By the way, uh, when DB says uh, Adam Fantilli is the number two favorite, we we all know he means the favorite at number two and not yes. the number two best odds uh, no. according to Sports Interaction. <laughs> I know I know what you meant. I just want to make sure people understand at home. But yeah, Leo Carlson's up there. Matt Vaymichkov, Will Smith, Zach Benson, uh, Brandon Yeager as well. Uh, it's just some of the names. Uh, who could be in contention for number two. Uh, but yes, Adam Fantilli right now, the betting favorite to be drafted second overall in this summer's NHL entry draft. Don't forget to check out sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all the best odds before game, in-game, and the best props. Sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. We'll talk to you soon, DB. Okay, now we can talk about Timo Meyer getting flipped from San Jose to the New Jersey Devils. Um, where do we start with this? Do we start with the full trade itself? Do we talk about why this trade took so long uh, to be completed in the first place? Uh, we talked about Carolina and New Jersey being in on Timo Meyer. There are so many different ways we can attack this siege. Where do we start? Well, um, you know, it's a huge move. Look at the Devils. I'll only bring this up because I'm so rarely right when we do these prediction shows. But I did have the Devils in the preseason as the, the sort of the under-radar team nobody was talking about that I thought could do well, the Dark Horse or however we frame that. Yeah. Um, I was more right than even I thought. I think that they're even better sooner than they thought. You know, they've quietly been building the, the you know, the the core or the the outline of a really good team there, adding good players. Um, but but it's come together in a way this season that that maybe you couldn't have totally predicted. But I love that Tom Fitzgerald, the general manager, got aggressive, you know, after seeing how strongly that the team had played for so long through the season. And, you know, it seemed to me that he had really identified Timo Meyer as the guy he wanted to get. He was in it from the start. It was a long process in a sense, you know, various teams at different times were calling on Meyer. You know, we, we hit on most of them, you know, Toronto at one point, Winnipeg, I think, was was seeing what would be there. Carolina was also there from the start, which was an interesting dynamic with the two Metropolitan Division teams really being in there aggressively. We know Vegas uh, got involved. St. Louis got involved at one point. Um, you know, after they traded away, uh, Tarasenko and O'Reilly and got a few other first-rounders. I think Edmonton might have called. I mean, everybody called on Timo Meyer at some point, but, but Tom Fitzgerald was relentless. Gets this deal done. It takes a long time to get over the finish line. I mean, it's a massive package, right? It's, I realize it might be quantity over quality again, but it's 13 total pieces in this trade. I mean, that's, I, I think I saw Puckpedia put out, it's the most the most amount of pieces that's been in a trade since his site's been up and running. Um, Jeez. You know, it, it's not often, put it this way, it's, it's, it's been a long time since we've seen a trade with 13 different pieces. As a result, that trade call ended up taking a little longer. I think, you know, it wasn't just due to the, I think there's some misunderstanding there about what was going on. I, partly there was a minor league contractual issue in, in the deal that I think slowed things up or like forced a little bit of a, a redo or whatever, make a change to the trade. But then it's also because all these other trades were happening at the same time, right? I know they were smaller moves, but you still have to get the GMs or the assistant GMs on the phone with the central registry and go through the process and, and confirm the trades. We had the Jack Johnson deal, uh, back to Colorado, you know, in that same period of time, obviously the the Tanner Janot deal, uh, Nashville made another deal with Philadelphia uh, for future considerations. Um, you know, there's a few trades going on kind of concurrently on Sunday night. And so I think that, that the league was slow on that end, you know, plus they had Barbashev going to Vegas in the morning. To Vegas. You had the Dadnov deal from Montreal for Guriana up to Dallas in the morning. So it was a busy day for Central Registry. Like they, it's all hands on deck when they get to deadline day. I'm not sure they can expect that much action a week out. It was like the GMs were used to the Monday trade deadline. They're like, "Oh crap, we, we better get this done on Sunday." Like, I think everyone forgot it. They actually had a few more days here. Um, but back to the original point, New Jersey was aggressive. I think initially New Jersey, when pursuing this move, really wanted to try to get um, Timo Meyer signed to a long term deal as part of it. Somewhere along the process, I think they recognized it was just going to be too complicated to have that be a requirement or a condition. Um, I think there's been some brief conversations with Timo Meyer's agent, but it sounds like 
they didn't initially have the same deal in mind and it's something they'll probably put off for a period of time here. Um, but I, I think it's, it's a nice piece of business by New Jersey. I'm not of the view though. It was a terrible return. I agree. It could be a better return, but there's a world that if the devils get to the conference final, one of the next two seasons, it's two first rounders, you know, plus a recent first rounder in mock Madulin, um, plus other pieces. So, I mean, that's, that's a decent return. It actually looks a little bit like, you know, what the senators got for Eric Carlson at the time. It didn't look like amazing. You know, it turned out because one of those picks became a very high pick. Obviously Josh Norris has become a nice player who has a prospect involved in that deal. So like, let's give this one some time and see, you know, where things grade out, you know, because it didn't involve one of the top, top prospects in or young players in the devil system, like a Dawson Mercer or Holtz, you know, I think people just say, Oh, they didn't, you know, I like the bet for New Jersey, but you know, they still, it's, I I think it's unfair to classify it as a complete miss by San Jose. I I think time will, will, will maybe look a little differently on that, but you know, we'll see that goes. Get some assets, conditional first, some picks for next for 2024 as well. Yeah. We retained 50% of of my salary to could be a worse return as far as I'm concerned for my career and company in San Jose. Right. And as I made the point, in the Tampa discussion, like the market, the market will tell you what a player is worth. Now, I guess if you're, if you're Mike Greer in San Jose and, and you, you go canvas all the teams and you see what's on the table, I guess you don't have to trade the player, but it, in this case, they kind of had to trade the player and that's where the kind of leverage points come into these talks. And so, it, yeah, it would be easy for us on the outside that weren't part of those discussions to say, well, like, well, it had, to, you, sh- you should have said to New Jersey, it has to be Dawson Mercer. It has to be a first and it has to be that. But if they're not willing to pay it and no one else is willing to give you anything equivalent to that, I mean, I, I do think ultimately you have to make a decision and, and there's a risk in waiting too, right? Like the, the, the Gavrikov situation in Columbus might not turn out so well for the Blue Jackets, you know, because they weren't able to consummate the deal they thought they had with Boston. Boston pivots in another direction. You know, now I think they're going to have a tough time getting a first rounder. I mean, when you pull the trigger matters as well. And so... You know, it's easy for us to handicap it on the outside, but I think unless you're in the middle of those conversations, it's a little harder to 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 be that critical of of a price paid. Because I, I still think this is it's not insignificant, two first round picks and a recent first round pick and a couple other prospects and 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 the like. So we we mentioned Timo Meyer. We we kind of touched on Barbashev and and Denis Gurionov moving all these different trades that Central Registry would have had to have dealt with on Sunday. I did not hear the name Patrick Kane once. You did not. Although if you're watching the Rangers Kings game, you would have saw some of the ramifications of what New York is having to do to get Patrick Kane, uh, you know, eventually in the fold. I mean, it's pretty, pretty wild day. Jake decision clears waiver Sunday. They send him to Hartford, the American hockey league. They they call up uh, Ryan Carpenter and, and, you know, have him sit on the bench in that game, but, but not take a shift, you know, Braden Schneider, also sits on the bench. You know, they basically don't play at all in the game, uh, absent a couple seconds, I think, in, in in total. And that was all done because the league requires a team that is under the salary cap ceiling to, to play at least 18 skaters in every game. So they technically played or dressed 18 skaters in that game. They just didn't play to. It didn't help that Andre Miller got kicked out of the game. And so they were actually down three skaters, essentially. And, um, you know, it's pretty wild that they that they did this, but I mean, essentially they, they had, there was risk if Carpenter or Schneider had been injured in that game, it could have complicated the cap picture. Instead, they're able to send them back to the HL. They're accruing more cap space. What this means, if you're curious about a Patrick Kane deal is that the soonest it can happen is Wednesday. I think that's possible. The trade goes down Thursday instead. Remember every day closer to the end of the season, every day closer to the deadline in this case, that the cap ramifications for any move get a little bit simpler, a little bit, you know, a little bit less money is owed to the players, a little bit less cap hit associated with them. Um, it's my understanding the framework of a deal has worked out here, though. Uh, there's already a third-party team, I believe, that's that signed up to take on, you know, 25% of Patrick Kane's uh, salary contract. And so, barring a last-minute change of heart from Kane, who obviously has to waive a mo- no-movement clause, or some kind of chaos with the Rangers cap picture where they can't make it work, which, which doesn't seem likely because they've made these series of moves to put themselves in a position. You know, I, I do think Patrick Kane will be 
a member of the Rangers, you know, somewhere before 3 p.m. Eastern time on Friday. Two questions. First one, uh, is there still like a possibility? Yes, he has the, the new movement clause. But like, I wonder if there's a world of possibility where Patrick Kane actually straight up says like, you know what? No, I'm not doing this. You know, I can't answer that because I haven't spoken to him, right? I mean, like, I guess to take it purely on face value, of course, until until something's done, it's not done, right? And so while all these these things are happening that point to a trade, while the intel is suggesting that, you know, the, the teams have got to a point where they, they're going to make that trade, it's until they, they conduct the trade call, until all the moves have been made, until the Rangers actually have the cap space, and until Patrick Kane signs off on the no movement clause and waves it, nothing is 100% done. People can have a change of heart. It happens in the world. It, it's it's happened in the last week in the NHL where, you know, we all thought that Vladislav Gavrikov was going to be traded to Boston. Um, you know, it was contingent on the Bruins making some other moves to clear up cap space to make that deal with Columbus. Ultimately, Dmitry Orlov becomes available. They pivot in that direction. Um, I'm sure Columbus, that's a tough, tough thing to happen in, in, in the front office. I saw that Yarmo Kekalainen was sort of quoted as saying that, that it, you know, nothing untoward happened, but it's unfortunate how it all unfolded. I mean, this, this can happen. So yes, I can't say with 100% certainty that it's done until it's done. But at the same time, I, I also don't believe the Rangers would be going to this extent with their roster. I mean, they've lost a few games in a row heading into that game against Los Angeles and they're basically intentionally playing down a few players in order to create the cap room needed or to protect the cap space needed to get Kane. I, I can't believe that they would go to that extent um, to, to do things unless they had a very real reason to believe that Patrick Kane was willing to waive his no move clause and, and come play for them. And the second question I have is if this is all of all this waiting period is essentially being done in the name of accruing cap space. Why don't the Rangers wait until Friday where they could max out as much as possible to accommodate Patrick Kane's salary? Well, that might still yet happen. I think it's because they can do these series of moves and, and get the cap space by Wednesday. They, look, they play a game Wednesday night against Philadelphia. So, you know, maybe there's a world they somehow get all create the cap space, get the trade done and get Patrick Kane in the lineup for that game. Um, you know, if not, I would still think it Thursday is a reasonable possibility. Um, keeping in mind that the third party broker team, you know, has to have the cap space available and, and has to pay real money to Patrick Kane. So, you know, maybe it benefits them to, to have it come later. Um, you know, so this is fluid. I think, like for those of us, and, and I follow this fairly closely, but for those of us not managing the cap every day, like I don't think people realize that literally your cap position can change based on injuries that happen in the games you're playing every day. Um, all these sort of situations play into it. So, you know, they're managing a situation in real time while trying to create the room for Patrick Kane. And so who knows? Maybe it somehow goes till Friday. I, I'm not, I'm not putting it out there. I'm just saying it can happen. I know for a fact it can happen sooner than Wednesday. I have some reason to believe it might not happen on Thursday and, and look, something might happen between then and now that, that pushes it to Friday, but the deadline is Friday, 3 PM Eastern. And I'm pretty confident by that point in time, this will have all been sorted out and, and Kane will be uh, on his way to, to Broadway. Okay. Let's look ahead to uh, as much as we can to Friday with some of the pieces still available. We've mentioned uh, Vladislav Gavrikov, Jacob Chikrin is still out there as well. Uh, Luke Shen, Brock Besser, in terms of the pieces that are there, in terms of some teams who could be active, what do we have to look forward to for these next few days? Well, I mean, it's it's an interesting market now, isn't it? Like all the high-end forwards essentially are off the board. I mean, I'm taking Patrick Kane is still on the board, but but you know, it's not like six other teams can go try to get him now. And so, you know, when you look at what the trade lists are going to look like, and I have I have to update my CJ's trade deadline big board. Uh, it's, it's in, it's in shambles after the weekend because so many of the players that were on there, the last version of it now are, have been dealt. So I haven't actually done the exercise yet, Julian, but you know, it's going to be a lot of defensemen, uh, near the top of that list and teams looking for a forward like Carolina. I wonder where they go next. I mean, you have James Van Riemsdyk out there. I don't know if he's a perfect stylistic fit for a team that likes to play with as much pace as the hurricanes do. Um, I wonder about Max Domi, you know, Chicago, I think, had interest in re-signing him and, and might still have interest in re-signing him. But when you see what some of these players are going for and, and you're where Chicago is in the standings, I mean, I think anything you can sell off might make sense. You know, they've already scratched Sam Lafferty for trade-related reasons. So he's, we would expect, going to be moved. You know, wouldn't surprise me now to see Domi traded. 
you know, but it's getting pretty thin in the, in the forward ranks is kind of, kind of what I'm getting at that. There's not certainly not high end difference makers out there. You now also got a few teams selling that we wouldn't have guessed. I mean, clearly Nashville is in a seller's position. I wonder if, if someone takes a jump at, at Matias Ekholm, uh, cause I think he he'd fit in on a lot of teams that are trying to, to, you know, go on a long playoff run this year. The cap ramifications are not insignificant, but you know, it's, it's pretty clear. David Poyle, who, by the way, big news out of the weekend is not, you know, going to be the, <laughs> the Predators GM after June 30th. He's, he's handing the job then to Barry Trotz, but he's, you know, he's starting to turn over some of the roster and giving Barry Trotz uh, some future draft picks to work with. Um, you know, you got Washington now selling, they've got Lars Eller, Connor Sheary. And so I guess the big action is going to happen on the blue line. I would think it seems like there's still, there's new teams getting involved on Chikrin, you know, Washington, I think is, is looking around there. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Carolina was, was making some kind of pitch for Chikrin. So I think there, there might be some renewed action there. Obviously Los Angeles, we've connected to, to interest in that player for a long, long time. I wonder if Edmonton gets involved. I mean, I, I don't know what the Oilers are going to do, but you know, they've, they've on again, off again, at least kept tabs on that player. So I, th- there's a chance he goes, we've got Jake McCabe in Chicago. You got Gavrikov. Luke Shen, you know, it sounds like Calgary actually, Julian has some interest in Shen. Maybe, maybe he ends up coming to your city. Um, you know, but again, I see him as a, some of the other pieces might have to move first before we, we get clarity on, you know, who's going to pay the price to Vancouver. You know, the Canucks are, are interesting here. You know, there's, there's been some renewed speculation. I'll call it over the weekend that JT Miller, his name being out there, you know, it's a big contract. We know that eight year deal still kicks in next season. Um, you know, but maybe there's a window here where, where he can be moved. I, I don't know if they can pull that off. They've already had difficulty, of course, getting someone to, to take on, you know, a couple of years of Brock Besser's deal. Is there a team out there willing to take that whole JT Miller contract? You know, we'll have to see, but I think Vancouver certainly is in a selling posture and, and would like to clear out some bigger cap space, future commitments so that they can start, you know, their process of building up again. Um, you know, I wonder about Thatcher Demko to me, that still feels like an off season move, but you know, his name's out there, you know, it's not really a robust goalie market, but you, you know, you have expiring players like Eunice Corpusalo, James Reimer, Cal- Cam Talbot, who I think are available, but you know, a, a team maybe looking for a longer term fix might, might give us a surprise Thatcher Demko deal. So I, I think there's still the makings of a pretty busy and entertaining week. I mean, for my money, this has been an awesome NHL trading period because you're seeing actual difference making players move their, their, you know, all these teams that are like only one Eastern conference final team can go to the Stanley cup final. Like, and, and we've already had five, as I mentioned, make significant moves. I think Carolina will make moves, you know, Buffalo has all kinds of cap space. Buffalo is hanging around the wild card chase. You know, I, I don't know that they're going to blow their brains out for a rental player, but maybe they get in and make a, a bigger move. Like I, I think they're kind of, a little bit in in the the shadows, like no one's really talking about them. But the Sabers have the ability to to add salary for future years to make a big swing, and and I think you can argue with a chance to to get back in the playoffs after how long that drought has been. Like that's that's a pretty tantalizing prospect. You know, Detroit. We never know what Steve Eisenman's up to fully. I, the, the the latest indication is he's not going to sell any of his UFAs. You know, players like Tyler Bertuzzi, uh, who, who certainly had a lot of interest from other teams. You know, maybe he becomes a buyer. I, I still think we're going to see some fireworks, man. I, I just, I, I can't imagine that we we will have just had the last two weeks we've had, and then it's all just going to grind to a halt and be, you know, eighth defenseman for fifth round picks from here on out. I think we're going to get some surprises. We got a lot to unpack out of all of that. There's a lot that could happen. By the way, uh, Steve Eiserman on, uh, I believe, the latest episode of Agent Provocateur with uh, Alan Walsh on his podcast. You should check that out. Yes. Do you know what's hilarious is that... What? I, I remember, I'm, I'm old enough to remember, I remember covering that Jonathan Drouin saga, I'll call it, uh, when he was sent to yes. the American Hockey League and he disappeared from the Syracuse team at one point, like didn't show up for a game. And, yeah. you know, and the two central figures of that in some ways were Alan Walsh, the agent for Jonathan Drouin, who was obviously directing his client what to do. And, and Steve Eisenman, the lightning general manager at the time. And I, I just, I actually texted Alan after I saw the episode, I was like, wow, like you and Steve are on like amazingly good terms, given that 
in that moment, I don't know if they were on bad terms, but there was certainly a lot of tension in their relationship. Like they were at, they were in a, like a thermonuclear war at that time. Um, and it just goes to show you that over time, all things get forgotten and, and, you know, just, just funny, just a funny comment. Like I couldn't believe it. I was like, I was th- if you had told me six or seven years ago, whenever that was going on, that, that they'd be like yucking it up on a podcast. I wouldn't have guessed that. I gotta say, yeah, that's a very good point. I forgot about that saga for like a little bit, but that was Man, that I was drove so to weird. Syracuse a couple times and like interviewed Drew mm-hmm. and like it was it was a big story, right? A third overall pick, a really good team in the lightning. It was a bit of a power struggle there. You know, Duran had been scratched in the cup final in 2015. You know, there's a there's a there's a lot of sort of drama for for by NHL standards, we don't usually get that kind of drama where a player of that stature is sent to the american hockey league and then doesn't show up for a game that he was supposed to play in like anyway awesome just just a good uh good memory and and funny now just to keep on with the theme we've been discussing people are wondering if jonathan Druin will move before the deadline i can't imagine for a lot but that's a guy on a you on an expiring contract well the canadians are willing i just don't know i don't know if the market's there i mean there's there's a lot of players you know i the players like a JVR or Domi, even, you know, Nick Bugstad, Lafferty, you know, I, I think that these, these guys for various reasons have more appeal. You know, most of them have smaller cap hits, not all of them that I just mentioned. Most of them, you know, I think could be had for next to nothing. And, you know, Jonathan Jerome's had a tough couple of years. I will never say never, but I don't think it's likely. Do we want to say anything about uh, David Poyle and the Barry Trotz news? I know we kind of mentioned it a couple minutes ago or do we want to save that for like stick taps or or is your how's your brain right now how do we want to go about that i mean i'm i am a mess today i'm like my brain's going in a thousand directions you know i I think i'll say what's obvious here david poyle for those who don't know is one of the finest gentlemen you'd ever encounter in the nhl he's he's been the gm the only gm the predators have had nearly 26 full years now he was a gm in washington before that Earlier this year, you know, celebrated his 3,000th game as a GM of an NHL team, which is just mind-boggling. He's actually been on year-to-year contracts for a number of years now. And so it wasn't as though, like, I think every year he was sort of like a player at the end of his career, maybe just taking it year by year, wasn't sure when the the end would come. And, you know, he's made the decision he's going to step aside. I think quite fittingly, the draft is in Nashville, June 28th and 29th. That's going to be his last big event as as Predators general manager. And then he, he hands the reins over to Barry Trotz. I think Trotz is an interesting choice. I mean, nothing but respect for Barry, but you know, at age 60 to be thrown into that kind of role, certainly don't question his hockey knowledge or knowing ton of the insides of the game, but you know, it's a different animal when you're worried about salary caps and, and maybe even negotiating with some of you know, his other peers in the GM group. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a big challenge, but you know, obviously a very familiar face in that market, a place, a guy who loves Nashville, wears it on his heart and sleeve and, and, you know, he'll be helped. No GM operates alone nowadays. Everyone's got people in the front office that do various tasks, but you know, it's, it's an interesting choice. We haven't seen many coaches become GMs. I mean, there was a time, you know, Pat Quinn and Mike Keenan, you know, were coaching GM at the same time, you know, 20, 25 years ago, Daryl Sutter, but that, that, you know, we moved away from that because the demands of both jobs have just grown to a point where no one could do both. Um, But, you know, not many coaches would ever be able to be in a position to make this jump. And so, you know, I haven't given it too much thought, but I just think it'll be interesting to see how that goes with Barry Trotz because he's coming in at an interesting time for the Predators, right? They have a lot of longer-term contracts. It feels like they've kind of taken that group as far as they can take it. We're seeing that now with some 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 selling going on from that team. You know, where what direction it takes next will be very interesting. How they handle, say, a player like Roman Yossi, you know, who's just signed a long, long-term contract. Their captain, you know, would they ever consider moving him down the road? You know, all those types. There's there's big questions I think there they won't be answered probably for quite some time. Um, but this is a, a real big set of news for the NHL and for, for the predators specifically. And, you know, something we'll be watching closely. So it's Monday. So we got to do ask CJ. How about this siege? We do ask CJ today and the questions will be, you know, more hockey focused, you know, who's going to move where all that stuff. And then for our post-trade deadline show, like we did last year, um, we try to get some more fun questions. How how do you, would you would you like that? Yeah, for sure. Because I'm gonna I'm gonna flame out if we talk too much hockey for too much longer. 
Okay, I'll try to make sure today's questions uh, don't, you know, harm you too much in terms of uh, your level of uh, fatigue or whatnot. Anyway, yeah. thank you to everyone who sent in questions on Twitter or Discord. Let's start with a dill pickle. How much of trade details are NHL clubs obligated to release to the public? I think as much as they deem fit, right? Like some teams when they make a trade announcement will tell us in the release or in their tweet, we retain X amount of percent on this player. Some teams put in this very specific clauses and conditions that are attached to draft picks, you know, as San Jose did that there's, you know, pretty wordy set of uh, conditions on, on the 2024 pick that, you know, New Jersey is sending to San Jose and, and the sharks disclosed all that and others don't, you know, I personally don't get that wrapped up in it because Basically, I deem it my job if if a team doesn't announce that stuff to to find it out one way or another. There's there's lots of ways to do that, and so you know, I guess in a perfect world, everything is just easily laid out and whatever. But you know, I'm glad as someone who's able to find out that stuff that that not everybody releases it all because it gives me an avenue to provide some value. So I don't I don't know if that answers the spirit of the question. Um, you know, I. I feel like in a salary cap world, quite honestly, like I, this isn't a big issue for me, as I say, because again, I, I recognize if a team doesn't announce a, a contract, I'll just probably find it out anyway and report it. But, you know, we have a hard salary cap. Like I don't get the secrets. I don't get why every team just doesn't say what the breakdown of a contract is or what have you, because it it's actually impactful on how they do business and it's important. And that's why sites like Puckpedia and Cap Friendly are so important for hockey fans too, because it helps us understand what our teams can do. And so- I think really most teams should announce everything, but if they don't, uh, I'll be bugging somebody and getting that info anyway. Speaking of teams who make that difficult, here's a question from Carl the Man 21. Hey, CJ and Julian. I wonder if you guys think that the Islanders might add more to the at the trade deadline. Uh, please answer on the pod because CJ's articles are not available here in Sweden. That needs to be fixed. Wow. I don't know how that's possible. Uh, I don't know either. I'll tell you this though. Um, I do think the Islanders will add again. I mean, you make obviously the Horvat trade when you, when you couple it with the eight year contract extension, he signed, that's not just a short term move, but it's a move designed to get them into the playoffs. They're still in that mix. And, you know, just, just knowing Lou Lamarello, I don't, I don't see him becoming a seller. You know, he's got, you know, players like Varlamov or Scott Mayfield, that are UFAs that I think would have a lot of value if he wanted to move on from them and, and sort of punt on the season. But I, I don't think that's in his DNA. And so I, I think, I think Lou will be be adding still yet more before the deadline. You know, unfortunately Matt Barzell's out injured, you know, it's not for the remainder of the season. You know, I think something in the four to six week kind of range, depending on how his knee recovers. Um, but you know, in the meantime, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see, uh, Sweet Lou go out and add to his team and try to, to give them everything they need to, to get into a wild card spot. Sweet Lou from Matt Mastrangelo on Twitter, which coyote moves first, Nick, Sm Nick Schmaltz, Jacob Chikrin, Shankostas bear or Nick Bukestad and most likely landing spot. Oh man. Well, I mean, I think there's a world they all move. I'll say that. Um, you know, the, the toughest will probably be Schmaltz. His name has certainly been out there more. But you know he carries term and and all those things. He's got a back, um, back ended contract in terms of more money being owed than the cap hit. So so some teams will have to take that into consideration. I think Gostas Bear and Bukestad will both be be easy players to move. Neither earns a lot of money. Both have had pretty good seasons. I know Gostas Bear has just returned from an injury here in recent weeks, but um, you know I know that there's a lot of contending teams that like them as sort of cheaper pickups. So I, I think that they they speak for themselves. You know, Chikrin, I'm I can't even handicap at this point in time. It, as I said, I there's there's still like tons of interest in this guy. Like at some point in time, almost every NHL team has been linked to him, right? And and it's you know that's partly reflection of the fact he's been on the trade market for two years. Um, you know, no one has yet paid the price. Maybe at the last minute, Bill Armstrong's willing to lower his price a little bit, and that might get it done. I have to believe it's best for everyone involved, though, if he's traded this deadline. Um, you know, I don't I don't know where he's going. Maybe it's LA. Maybe Washington gets it done. Maybe Carolina swoops in. I mean, Rob Rossi had in the athletic report that the Pittsburgh Penguins have made overtures at him too. So uh, I think there's all kinds of possibilities still there, but uh, I, I can't tell you where all those players are going, but I think 
there's a good chance at least three out of four of them are traded by Friday. Um, I got a question from a guy on Discord or someone on Discord whose name is spelled Sna and it's Hans backwards, but I think it's a really I it's I think it's a fun question. So Shea Weber's contract got traded, but my friends and I were wondering something about Robida contracts being traded as reference to uh Robida Island. Are players that are on indefinite LTIR obligated to move to the city in which their contract was traded to? They're not obligated to move there, but every year they do have to report for a physical. So, you know, even players who there's an understanding won't be back at some point in time have to go and, you know, go through the physical process and essentially fail the physical or, or have the doctors confirm whatever their issue is. And this is true even of Joffrey Lupo, right? Remember, Joffrey Lupo was kind of an infamous slash famous one in Toronto. He kind of disappeared under mysterious circumstances, still had a couple of years left on his deal. He still had to come into Toronto and sort of quote unquote fail his physical once every year. Um, you know, what's interesting about the Shea Weber situation is he was actually working with the Golden Knights farm team in Henderson a little bit. He'd been on the ice with them, I think. And, you know, it wasn't formal work, but, you know, was you know, is actually kind of interested in what the organization was doing. And and by them moving his contract that, you know, I, I would assume he can't do that anymore with another team. You know, it might, he might've <laughs> laid some, he might've laid some groundwork for a point when his contracts expired and, and he can go back and do that. But um, you know, obviously that was a move Vegas had to make, but yeah, I mean, you actually get paid by that team. You have to do, you know, do certain things that every player has to do like a physical at the start and end of each season. And um yeah, a lot of great players have ended up just taking a trip to Arizona at the end of their career for those those routine physicals and cashing checks from the Coyotes, but never playing for that team. So I think we've gone through this whole episode and nothing broke. Uh, the trade winds have, have calmed down, which means it's probably a good chance we'll hear about some trade after uh, this episode drops. Uh, I'm ready for it. It's Monday morning and I'm exhausted, man. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, dude, I, I can't imagine what your last uh, week, well, this well, past weekend has been like for you. It's no different. It's just, you know, a lot of pestering people, a lot of staring at the phone, a lot of unreturned texts, <laughs> but, oh. you know, it just, it's a war zone, but there's like, there's so much stuff going on. I mean, it's, it's fun too. Don't get me wrong, but it's just funny to have so much action this far out from the deadline. It just makes me wonder like, holy crap, what are these next few days going to be like? But it is a bit of a thrill to be like, you know, texting a, a GM or 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 messaging an agent and being like, OK, are they going to get back to me? And then you get that message back. And you're like, holy crap. Like, like that's a that's really fun. Sure, I think. There's, a, there's a rush to it for sure. Um, but, you know, it's also kind of stressful because like at some point you are supposed to do something else in your life. I didn't get anything accomplished this weekend. Put it that way. I, I got a couple runs in. So I kept, <laughs> I, kept, I kept my streak going. But other than that. It, you know, just because there was so much action, I just was glued to my phone. Didn't, you know, had had a couple games on in the background, but didn't really get to watch the games. Didn't get my laundry done. All all the stuff you might want to accomplish on a weekend didn't happen. Whoa. <laughs> get your laundry done, sir. Okay. Please do that. Yeah. That, hopefully today's quiet and I can catch up there today. I hope so too. Um, We'll be back Thursday with a new episode and the post trade deadline show. We'll give more details on that. Starting now, get your questions in. They have to be fun ones. Don't give any like, you know, oh, did this team do well at the deadline? Why didn't my team do a trade? Give us like fun stuff, like well, pizza toppings or something. Be clear. We'll have a bonus show on Saturday. Where we'll recap what happened to the deadline, the news, yeah. maybe, maybe the trades that didn't happen that were close, all that stuff. So we'll go over that Saturday. And then next Monday, when it's a couple days Everything's been digested. Next Monday, we'll get goofy. We'll get ridiculous. Okay, fine. Fine, 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 fine. Saturday will be serious. Monday will be goofy. For next Monday's act, CJ, get the goofy stuff in. Saturday, we'll just, we'll be serious. Because that's what we <laughs> Big do. Big J journos, buddy. Big J journos. Oh, so uh, you've reached this part of the podcast where we have to add this on because uh, a trade went through after we finished recording. And it involves the Toronto Maple Leafs. So welcome to Leafs Corner, CJ. We got to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs and the fact that they've acquired Jake McCabe, Sam Lafferty, a conditional fifth round pick in 2024, a conditional 20, uh, fifth round pick in 2025 from Chicago in exchange for a conditional first in 2025, 
a 2026 second round pick, Joey Anderson and Pavel Gogolev. Did I get that right? I think so. Um, that's a big move. You know, that that's, this is, this is Kyle Dubas's moment where he's behaving the way we've seen the lightning go in recent years. You know, it's not to say that this will have the same outcome as the lightning, but you know, I think what's key here is that both of these players are not rentals and they're, and they're both still in the primes of their career. 50% of McCabe's contract was also retained by Chicago, which is not insignificant because teams are always willing to retain the contract that's expiring. But in the case of McCabe, they're retaining 2 million each of the next two years. And so he becomes a $2 million player for the Maple Leafs. And of course, I can tell you, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen this year, but I bet when we're talking about the Maple Leafs next season, they're going to have cap struggles or, or just cap challenges. And so that, that makes him more palatable in Sam Lafferty's case. It's 1.1 million against the cap that he's earning and he's under contract next season as well. And so this, this to me is, is sort of straight from the Julian Brisebois playbook and in, in terms of, um, you know, giving up future draft capital. I mean, a 2025 first rounder, I mean, how old is that kid today? I mean, that, 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 it kind of goes back to what we talked about at the top of this this episode is is that player isn't going to be anywhere near ready to help the Leafs as long as Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and the like are on the team. And so you're trading off the future for the present and, and you know, smartly getting uh, a couple years of service from from at least McCabe and, and one extra one from Lafferty. So, you know, it's this is a big swing by Toronto, especially in the wake of the O'Reilly and, and Achari deals that we've already seen. And, you know, I think it's one that people should be excited about to follow this team because this is this is by far on paper the best Leafs team of of these seven years. Again, usual disclaimer, that doesn't mean it's going to work. It doesn't mean it's going to gel, but it's hard to imagine the Leafs with a deeper team that's cap compliant than the one I have right now. You know, with all these moves and, and being in the eye of Julian Breezeboy, you'd think the Leafs were preparing to play a series against the Lightning or something. Well, isn't uh-huh. that convenient? Isn't that convenient? And look, it's two front offices. This is the funny part. Away from the heat of competition, I know there's a lot of respect and admiration between the Leafs front office and, and the Lightnings. I think that they're, you know, socially friendly in the sense that I think that they look at what each other do and, and you know, recognize it's, it's um, you know, a, a very worthy competitor at what you're, you know, and there's there's limited assets. There's You're trying to win. There's only one Stanley Cup. There's only one team that can come out of that first round series, all that kind of stuff. Um, but they're behaving in somewhat the same manner. And, and you know, I, I really don't think that's a, a total coincidence. And and I think it's smart, honestly. I mean, look, we, we know the Leafs. I mean, there's a world where Austin Matthews signs an extension and everyone does. And, and maybe this is a 10-year more run with this group of players. You know, we've seen that happen in Pittsburgh and Washington, for example, in Chicago until right now. I mean, those those teams kept you know, cores built around the same, you know, couple guys for a really long time, but there's no guarantee of that. And so, you know, who can really care about the 2026 second rounder? I get why the Blackhawks do is they're entering this pretty significant rebuild they're in. Um, but, you know, if you're in Toronto's and you've got better players now in your lineup today, you've got hard lineup decisions. You have maybe future decisions about players on the current roster, about whether they stay on the deadline and you still got a few days to make those decisions which i think is is also crucial here this is this is a second straight move that's left kyle dubas and, and his front office a long time to regroup and to see what else is out there and you know i don't think they're necessarily done just yet i was about to you took the words out of my mouth because the next question i was going to ask is okay what's next for the toronto maple Leafs? well they, they have a, a cap issue that will be pressing when Matt Murray's ready to come off long-term injured reserve. You know, he's nearing a return from an ankle injury. I don't believe that's going to happen in the next like two days, but, but certainly by the end of the week, I think it's possible. And so, you know, they can go about it a couple ways here. It sounds like some rival teams are already calling the Leafs now wondering what the price is on some of their potentially expendable UFAs players like Alex Kerfoot or Justin Hall, maybe Pierre Engvall. And so the Leafs, can now take that time to gauge the market to see is there a trade that makes sense? Maybe, maybe by trading one of those players out, uh, they can start to, you know, get back a little bit of some of the draft capital they've spent here. Um, but they don't have to do that. I think that this is what's important is, you know, they can also get cap compliant by sending Joseph wall down to the American hockey league. He's, he's the, been the backup goalie while Murray's 
uh, been out injured and one more player that makes 1.1 million or a bit above that. And so I don't know who that would be. And it would require a player that most likely that has to be put on waivers. Uh, but there's, there's a way to do this where it doesn't guarantee they're trading someone off the roster. And I think that, you know, now they can, can take a moment and, and see where that is and, and what makes sense. And, you know, it's, it's too soon. We're recording this pretty soon after the trade is dropped for me to say who that will be or how that's going to look. But I think that's what they're going to be working through now in in the immediate future is just figuring out, you know, what's the best course. And, and I think that they have an open mind, much like the Leafs always do. I mean, it's, it's, you know, some teams really focus, like we need to get this exact thing. And, and I, I think the Leafs really do approach all these deadlines. Like what is the best possible ways to make our team better? And that could be getting someone like Ryan O'Reilly. It could be getting, you know, I, I think that it, it, they, they consider all possibilities. And so, you know, the other thing I'd say here, if, if we're looking at the league wide um, ramifications mm-hmm. of this move, seems like the prices are coming down a bit. You know, this, this does not bode well for Columbus and Gavrikov, for example, because the Leafs just paid a first and second, essentially. I know there's other parts of this and, and got Lafferty and McCabe at 50% retained. Um, you know, Gavrikov, Columbus was hoping to get a first and third for him straight up. Uh, you know, it, it just seems to me that that's going to be a difficult thing for them to achieve. And, and so we might be seeing this sort of slowly morph into a bit of a buyer's market. You know, I'm, I'm aware that I'm saying this less than 12 hours or a little more than 12 hours after, you know, Julian Breezebois played five draft picks and, and Cal foot for, for Tanner Janot. So, I mean, that, you know, one of these, it's not like every move is directly relate correlated to the next move. Um, but you know, we're, we are, I think going to see the prices drop a little bit now and man, we still got, you know, it's three o'clock Eastern right now on Monday as we're recording this. We still got four whole days till the deadline. I just, it's wild to think of what else might still materialize here. Did you see, uh, I'm actually, I'm sure you did the, the statement, Julian Brisebois, uh, at least that's been put out there about essentially him justifying the, the draft picks that he unloaded to get Tanner, you which kind of more or less falls in line with how you were trying to explain it from his vantage point. When we spoke about it in the uh, earlier time, we recorded this podcast earlier this morning. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of crossover here with what the Leafs are thinking, right? He said, to paraphrase him, what are the odds of those players are ready to make a difference in a window where we can win the cup? None, zero, zilch. So why not go all in? I mean, this is this is the craziest deadline period I can ever remember, man. Seriously, like, like I'm sure you can maybe draw one 20 years ago. We used to see a little bit more action at the deadlines kind of in the manner we're seeing now. But in, in recent times... I don't, I can't think of anything that equates to this where all the teams are just, you know, in the East are trading first rounders and, and really making big moves and, and, you know, they're all chasing the same thing. I I think maybe it, it's somewhat related um, because, you know, if, whether you're, whether you're the GM of the Boston Bruins at the very top of the league all year long, or in New Jersey, Carolina, like, you know, it's going to be a hard road just to even get to the, the second round, the third round, and, and someone's going to reach the Stanley cup final. And so, you get the sense that these GMs just don't want to let this period pass and have any regrets about what they didn't do. Well, at least the Eastern conference ones do seems like the Western conference ones are either just selling, they got Nino Nino Ryder and that's really it. Ivan Barbashev for, for the golden Knights. You yeah, know, that's the, fine. Yes, that's true. That's true. But you're Vegas right to get Ivan Barbashev. That's true. The truth is no one in the West that we've seen is like trading multiple first rounders and really loading up. I mean, the, there's no one is behaving that way. I mean, Let's see what Colorado does. They're going to have some some long-term injured reserve space to potentially use here. But, you know, we're running out of players, it, it would seem. Um, you know, the Oilers have interest in Matias Ekholm, Joel Edmondson. Maybe they make a bigger swing than, than some of their counterparts out west. But, yeah, it's 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 been very Eastern-based. And, you know, Toronto's got to go through the East. That's been part of their problem. That's part of the reason they haven't won a, a playoff series, I think, is they've they faced some pretty tough matchups along the way too in those years and went to game seven and basically all of them. Um, and so they're, they're, they're banking on a little bit more sandpaper. I'd say too, that's, that's the other part. We didn't really get into the players, but McCabe and Lafferty, I do bring, you know, add to an element that the Leafs are clearly trying to address here. I think no, Nola Chari fits some of that mold too. Obviously Ryan O'Reilly, um, you know, good 200 foot player. It's not just someone that's, that's there to put the puck in the net. And so, Leafs are changing a little bit the shape of of what they are, and I think trying to be a little heavier, a little bit more ready for playoff hockey when it comes. All right, is there anything else 
you want to throw out there, whether it's off this Leafs trade, whether it's off anything that could happen today, anything percolating in your big brain that you want to drop before we sign off for real well, this I, time. I still didn't get my laundry done. So, oh. <laughs> you know, all, all I'll say is this. We should probably wrap this up and get this thing on the web somewhere. Get this on YouTube. Get this out on the, on the podcatchers because – I'm worried it's going to be dated again. We're going to be doing like three addendums to this podcast. Jeez, man. And, and think about it. Like we, we haven't even got, there's so many other things we like, we kind of touched on the David Poyle thing, uh, the Calendry Miller spitting incident that happened over the weekend. We barely touched off on that too. There's just been so much other news for us to get to. Uh, and you're right. Like if we don't get this out there now. Like it's just going to be dated. Who, who knows what other move could happen uh, once this episode actually sees the light of day, which by the time you all hear this, it definitely would have. Uh, it all right. It makes feel better too. Honestly, if, I wish I could show you my text. I'm just getting texts from all these people. So-and-so from this radio. So-and-so from here. Can you do hits? No way. The you can't be doing those hits now. The answer is a big no. I'm saving Thank the good you. stuff for the Chris Johnson show. That's what's up. And I say That's that with respect up. to my my colleagues doing those radio shows around the continent. But there's just there's only there's only one me and only so little time. Would you clone yourself if you had the opportunity? No. Why not? I don't know. That I, I have never thought about it, but that seems no, it would be weird. You wouldn't so wait, like for like a deadline week like this, like you wouldn't clone yourself and like so you could do all those little things? No, I'm all here for AI to be able to like take the thoughts in my brain and put them into a nicely written column. Oh, I'm not I'm not down with that at all. No. I'm down with that because Ooh. I've got lots of thoughts and lots of info, but it, the, the writing time is hard when your phone's going bananas. And, but you know, that's anyway, that we're, <laughs> we're way down the rabbit hole here, bud. Go do your laundry for siege. I'm no. Julian. We'll be back on Thursday with a brand new episode of the Chris Johnston show. Peace. The Chris Johnston show. Powered by sports interaction. Want to bet? Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.